What is inside? What do you have to give? What are you dying to give? How can you help people? Do that. Welcome to Monday Morsels, the abbreviated companion to our full-length Friday interviews. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. All right. Welcome back. Happy Monday. As many of you know by now, I am eagerly anticipating the upcoming publish date of my own book this October, October 27th, 2020 to be exact. So as a service to the public, you, my listeners, yeah, that includes you, person who thinks writing a book has nothing to do with you, just wait. As a service to the public, I'm going to give you the good the bad, and the ugly of writing a book from my perspective right at this moment, not too far away from having written it, done with the majority of the mechanics and final touch decisions for the nuances of it, and just about starting to get out there and pitch it to people walking by in the street corners to buy it. Now, I think today's episode is going to be cool for many of you because I hear so many people tell me they want to write a book or they have an idea for a book or they want to write a book but they don't know where to start or can't get a publisher or they're not up to the task of figuring out self-publishing. And here's the thing. I've had all of those very same internal struggles and yet somehow, by the grace of God, I have an actual real life, I can hold it in my hands, book coming out. And it's actually published by one of the big well-respected publishing companies, Wiley & Sons. This is something I sometimes dreamed of, but didn't really think was possible unless I won an Emmy or an Academy Award. So, just like this podcast, my book is called 10,000 No's, How to Overcome Rejection on the Way to Your Yes. So, just like most of the wisdom that I espouse, the book is full of stories of perseverance and resilience, getting back up after being knocked down, And those themes are also a part of the actual writing of the book itself. However, the truth is, for me, it was actually much easier and more smooth than I'd been told and than I expected. But I'm going to get into the reasons for that with this particular book because that's somewhat misleading. But more on that later. I'm going to break down my lessons learned into a list to make it more digestible for you and easier for you to go back and refer to this later when, not if, you're writing your own book. Number one, the seeds that you planted years ago may not start growing and break through the ground for a lot longer than you anticipated when you planted them. All right. I have recently come upon files in my computer that were created as far back as 2013. It's now 2020 that are basically failed attempts of this exact book. By that point, I had been kicked around as an actor for 18 years. I moved into Manhattan on January 1st, 1995 to pursue acting. And even that was after having done my first play at Boston College my junior year, taking acting classes at BC, getting a film studies minor to accompany my English major at BC, doing a musical near my hometown after graduation, trekking into the city two nights a week the entire fall of 1994 for acting classes while also doing some terrible local projects for things like cable access TV, if you remember that. But by 2013, apparently, I felt like I had something to offer. I'd been a significant part of groundbreaking shows, you know, Sopranos, The West Wing. I'd done a season on a Showtime show called The United States of Terror. It was created by 
Academy Award winner Diablo Cody. It starred Academy Award winner Tony Collette. I'd worked with legendary directors like Guy Ritchie and Ivan Reitman. I'd been supporting my family for a bit with my acting. Barely, but I was. And I was occasionally recognized by strangers for my work. But largely, I felt more like I was barely treading water. So it was twofold. The book was kind of to help others going down a similar path, kind of like the podcast, but also to save myself, <laughs> kind of like the podcast. But the very thing that made me qualified to warn people of the treacherous path was the thing that hung me up. I thought, probably correctly at the time, that no one was going to care what I had to say as I had yet to win an Oscar or an Emmy. P.S. I still haven't as of this recording, if you didn't realize that. But I do finally feel like my story is worthy of a book, and I do believe people are going to read it and it's going to help some folks. But it was only made possible because I planted those seeds way back seven years ago. Shockingly, in one of those documents, I even wrote a list of potential titles, and one of them was 10,000 No's. That predates the podcast, which I didn't start until 2017, by three or four years. That's unbelievable to me. So the lesson is, don't just dream, write down your dreams. They may be more attainable and not as far off as you think they are at this moment. Number two, even if no one but you ever reads it, writing down your story is a very powerful exercise that will absolutely reward you in one way or another. Here's the gist of this one. At some point, I think it was in 2017, just before I launched this podcast, a friend of mine, and now a past guest, who is a New York Times bestselling author, a world-renowned speaker who makes a couple of million dollars a year on the speaking circuit, unsolicited told me she thought that I could speak publicly, given my theater training, career story, ability to articulate lessons from it, all of that. So she mentored me, and we set about creating my narrative through a speech. It was a 45-minute speech, then it was 30 minutes, 50. We spent a lot of time, and I was really hot and heavy into it, working my ass off every day with the hopes of creating an additional revenue stream to support me in the inevitable lows of an acting career. And I remember at one point talking to my friend Chris, a fellow thespian, and he said, I don't know if you'll make money doing speeches. Maybe yes, maybe no. But I think it's a good thing for you to be telling your story like this. And he couldn't have been more right. What it does, and I think you should try it, please, really try this. It allows you to specifically and consciously present the narrative of you to the world. Without realizing it, we go through life like a pinball. Our parents tell us who we are, our siblings, our teachers and coaches, everyone besides us. What we end up taking on as our story of who we are is really just this cobbled together version of who everyone else said we were. When you write a story the one that only you can write because only you have lived your life, with you as the protagonist, you start to see yourself as the hero of the story. And that's a good thing, I think. I'm not saying you make that hero a cardboard hero that has only strength and smarts and know-how. I'm saying real life, flesh and blood, human being who, while they fail and fail often, heroically presses on. When you do that, regardless of whether even one other soul reads it, you empower yourself. You'll find yourself shrinking less. You'll find yourself taking up your space, owning your power, and graciously thanking people 
when they tell you your story helped them in some way rather than deflecting it the way I used to do and still do from time to time. So craft your narrative. Number three, don't hide behind other people's, quote, better stories. This is intrinsically linked to the previous lesson, but it's worth mentioning. When John Gordon, whom I'll tell you about more specifically later, checked in with me after essentially making my publishing deal happen, he introduced me to his publishers, he had some great advice. John, at the time, had written 19 books, seven of them bestsellers, and was also a top leadership expert in the country. When I told him that I was planning to make 10,000 no's like Tim Ferriss's Tribe of Mentors, which is a collection of stories and lessons from Tim's multitude of heavy-hitting guests he's interviewed, John stopped me in my tracks. He said, Tribe of Mentors is Tim's third or fourth book. His first book was Four Hour Work Week. That's what put him on the map. It was the story that only he could tell. So 10,000 No's needs to be the story that only Matt Del Negro can tell. Can you include quotes and tidbits from your guests? Sure. But that's not why I'm reading the book. I'm reading that book because I want to go behind the curtain of Hollywood and the entertainment industry with a real-life working actor, you, and I want to hear what it's really like, not the version on Entourage. If you write that book, you're going to have a bestseller on your hands. That's your book. Don't hide behind other people's stories. There's plenty of time to highlight them later, but your story is worthy of being told. Your life, as it is, if told honestly and openly, can actually help people. That's what you need to write. Thank God I asked him because I was set on hiding behind my guests big time. You know, I, I instead, once I put fingers to the keyboard, I just let it flow out of me. And what came out was not just about acting. It was about life, my life specifically. Lessons I've learned on sets, sure, but also on sports fields and in classrooms and in situations far beyond my career. And it still includes tidbits and quotes from bigwigs like Henry Winkler, Richard Schiff, Susie Batiste, and Mark Duplass, as well as unknown folks like Mike Boyle, Rob Groupie, and the late Rob Whitaker. But I didn't use their big stories as a barricade behind which I could hide. I used their stories to amplify the lessons that I'd learned myself and to show readers that no matter what field they come from, what level of, quote, success they deem themselves to, to have achieved, no matter how young or how old they were, these lessons apply to all of them. These lessons apply to you. So don't hide behind other people. Write your story so we can learn from you specifically. Even if you never share it with anyone, you'll learn from you. I promise. Will mine be a bestseller? I have no idea. I, I can only control how many people read it to a tiny degree. That's not the point. The point is that I do believe it's going to hit people that do read it. Okay, number four. Writing a book is like the old proverb about eating an elephant one bite at a time. You can only write a book one chapter at a time. Full disclosure, as an English major, a prolific texter, my texts have been described as Dickensian in length, people making fun of me, uh, as a closet screenwriter that's never really amounted to much yet, writing is a skill that I've spent a lot of time on, whether I was aware of it or not. I mean, I even joked that the only reason I was able to woo my wife is that our courtship began largely over email where I was able to turn some clever and witty phrases and make her laugh with my writing skills as we began to date. 
we had physical chemistry, but I felt like the written word was my sword as I had to distinguish myself from all of her other suitors, so especially because her first impression of me was that I was a skin-deep, bartending, wannabe actor. So I had a lot to overcome on the path to her heart, and writing did help it. So that said, on my initial call with the entire team from Wiley, the publishers, I freely admitted, I said, I have no idea how I'm going to write an entire book. You guys are going to have to be on the phone with me every day for a while, like three hours a day, I was thinking. In truth, though, that was almost the opposite of what ended up happening. Turns out I'm a very independent writer, but I'm going to give you the secret to how I made that transition. This is where the secret starts. In order to get the publishing deal, even after John Gordon had graciously shared a small writing sample of mine with Wiley and their head honcho at the time, Matt Holt, had sat down to lunch with me in Hoboken, New Jersey after sussing me out on social media, I had to write a book proposal to get the official nod, you know, to get the contract. But there was one problem. I had no idea what a book proposal was. I mean, I knew what it was, but I didn't really know what a book proposal was. So I reached out to a friend who has a career that is a lot more accomplished than mine, including a stint in the White House, and asked if I could use a copy of a book proposal he had just written as a template. And that proved to be very helpful. I basically took what he had written, which was completely different content. It was a historic political book and transposed it into my content and then tweaked it and kind of made it my own. Now, what it did was it forced me to take this big blob of life experiences and break it down into sections known in a book as chapters. These ultimately changed a little bit, but largely that original list is the spine of the book. So all I did was when Wiley told me that the whole thing should be 50,000 to 60,000 words, I think that was what it was. All I knew was that I was scared shitless of the huge number. Ironically, at the end, I went over on words and had to pare it back. Anyway, I took that total number of words, 50 or 60,000. I divided it by the number of chapters. At the time, I think it was 17, but now it's maybe 16. I can't remember. And I said, okay, each chapter is about... 3,000 words. So I went to the first chapter, aptly titled Getting Started, and I just wrote. I just let it flow out of me. And after a while, I paused, hit select all, I hit word count, and I saw where I was. And then I began to angle toward ending that chapter around 3,000 words. If I went significantly over, I'd deal with that later. If I fell significantly short, I'd deal with that later. For now, I just needed to to do this with every chapter. And that's what I did. Number five, don't be John Wayne and go it alone. Get help. A friend of mine always says this, and it definitely applies to writing a book. Like I said, I was shocked by how much I just wrote it on my own and Wiley trusted that I'd actually get it done and it wouldn't be terrible. So the plan was that after I wrote two or three chapters, Janine Ray, who was overseeing my book, would read them and let me know if I was on track or way off. She did, and she felt like I was on track, so off I went and wrote. It wasn't until a lot later in the process that I was given an editor, the incredible Julie Kerr, who I still never met in person or talked to, by the way, on the phone. We did this all over email. The crazy thing, I think, is that I'd been let alone to go write for so long that I was kind of worried that she'd hate it, but she didn't. And while the book is shockingly similar and unchanged 
to the original manuscript that puked out, her help was immense. So the analogy I give you is this. If you've ever had work done on your house, they come in, they bust the place up and do all the remodeling. And then when they've pretty much made the place look amazing and totally new, but they're not quite done, they move on to their next gig. And you've already paid them the bulk of the fee. So now it's a pain in the ass to get them to come back and do the final touches. But those final touches are really, really important. And on a book, even more so. The way Julie, with her expert eyes, could help me snip and rearrange sentences or sections or rename subtitles made everything flow. Where to place the guest quotes, where to break up a section or a thought, all of these are key decisions. You, right now listening to this, wanting to write your own book but too scared or thinking, see, that's what I don't know how to do. And I'm saying, who cares? Just write the book. If you do it well, you get help and that help will make it so much better than you could have done on your own or than I could have done on my own. But you won't get help if you don't write the book because no one in their right mind with the tools to help you is going to help someone who just says, yeah, I kind of want to write a book someday. Take a number. This help wasn't just in the form of my editor. It was the whole thing. Format, font, jacket cover, endorsements, photo for the cover and the inside jacket, all of it. Just like as an actor, my work is only as good as my collaborators. If, if you give a great performance as an actor, but you have a terrible director and editor, that performance likely ends up on the cutting room floor. You're only as good as the team you surround yourself with. But you've got to be the leader who galvanizes that team with your passion for what you're writing, in this case, a memoir, self-development, career, life guide. You've got to be the leader. You've got to get people fired up. Okay, number six, do the work now, get rewarded later. Angels will appear. This is kind of similar to the John Wayne thing, but a little different. You get help and angels appear seemingly out of nowhere when you do the work as if you are willing to do it on your own without help. That's how the whole book deal came to be in the first place. When I met John Gordon, who was introduced to me through an old Boston College lacrosse teammate who listens to my podcast, he was just another guest. We ended up hitting it off. We stayed in touch. Later, when his daughter was considering a career as an actor, he asked if I would have coffee with them to give her the scoop. So I did. A week or two later, as I was working on this small writing sample that at the time was just going to be a short, free ebook, which I didn't even know what an ebook was, for my website to entice people to sign up for my, at the time, non existent newsletter. Basically, I had just transposed these, these bullet points from index cards that I used for uh, notes for a, a speech I had given at a conference, something like eight steps to overcome any obstacle, something like that. And another guest had suggested this app called Scrivener to use for writing as he was saying, oh, you should do a self-publish of a book. That's what he was doing. So this whole thing was really just a way for me to figure out a new app. I wasn't even going to do much with the writing. But when I finished, the app made it look so cool and professional that I was like, huh, this actually looks like a real book. Almost as an afterthought, I emailed a copy of it to John with a note that said, your daughter might find this helpful. It's basically the same stuff I told her over coffee. And that was it. I sent it off. The next day, I get a text from John saying, move this, change this, and send it to my publisher at blah, blah, blah email. And he gave me their email. And that is literally how the book deal came about. 
when I say I did the work, it wasn't just the doing the work of writing that ebook. It was the work from 2013 when I created that first file. It was the work from 2017 onward when every single week I'd write up an intro and an outro for my guests on the podcast without thinking about it. I was just doing it to serve this thing that was a passion project. It was the work for all the defining of what the podcast was going to be and the work of pitching it to hopeful future guests and listeners. It was the work of creating that narrative of a 45-minute speech with my mentor who told me I could do it for money even though I hadn't made a dime speaking at the time. But all of that time that I put into doing that speech, that was all part of what ended up being this book. All of that stuff, I just did it for the love of the game. And it just so happened that people were watching. I didn't know they were. And I guess they were liking what they saw. So they decided to help me. That's what I suggest to you right now. Just do it for the love of the game for you. Number seven is the last one. Don't let the critics, including the one in your head, stop you from writing your book. And when I say book, I mean it proverbially. Okay, it, it, it can be anything that's daunting that you want to do. Sure, it's a lot of work. Sure, you're not a pro. Who cares? You're going to die someday. Do you want to lay there thinking you didn't leave it out on the field, the way I used to say in sports? Just do it. Just start. Don't overthink it. You don't have to let it upend your life. Just take a baby step toward it. The rest will work itself out. Maybe it won't get published. Maybe you'll self-publish. There are many friends of mine that say self-publishing is the way to go these days anyway because you retain all the profits. And even the self-publishing route has become so automated that it now does much of the heavy lifting for you. Don't do it to sell books. Don't do it so you can tell people that you wrote a book. Just do it for you. Do it because telling your story, whatever it is, is a worthy pursuit. It will help you regardless of who you are or what your goals are. That's not BS. I mean, it. it's like a vision board for you. Tell the story that empowers you. Choose to see your life in a way that makes some kind of sense, that contributes to the higher good, that leaves the world a little better than you found it. Just go write it. That's it. Just go write it. I hope this hit you. I know I went on a little longer than usual. I just feel like I benefited so much from writing this regardless. I mean, I could sell zero books and I've already won from just doing it, just from the process of doing it. So like I said, doesn't have to be a book, might be a film that you're making, might be, it might be a fence in the backyard. It doesn't matter. Just something that you want to do, go do it. If COVID has taught us anything, it's that there's no certainty, there's no guarantees for anything. So go do it. That's the other thing about COVID. It might present things to you where something you've been doing turns out to be much more helpful to people than you thought it was a year ago or five years ago. This book is a perfect example. When I wrote it, when I was done, which was, you know, I finished it prior to COVID, I was like, wow, this is kind of a book about dealing with uncertainty because I've had so much uncertainty in my career. And then the whole world stopped and I thought, holy cow, I've written a book about this very thing. What do you do when the rug gets pulled out from under you? 
because that's been my whole career. Every time something seems like it's coming, it's not there. When I think it's not there, something appears, a magic carpet, and it takes me another 10 yards. You don't know what purpose that gold inside you is going to serve. You don't know it because you don't have a crystal ball. So don't disregard that special thing that you have because you're like, yeah, nobody wants to hear about it. Nobody wants to hear from me like I was doing. Nobody wants to hear from an actor who hasn't won an Emmy or an Oscar. Bullshit. Why does that person more important than me? And who's to say I won't win one at some point? And does that even matter? No, that's an award. That's an external thing. What is inside? What do you have to give? What are you dying to give? How can you help people? Do that. All right, that's it. See you on Friday for the longer episode or see you next week for another one of these Monday morsels, which is supposed to be a short episode. This was not really a Monday morsel. This was like a Monday sandwich. I don't know. This is like a Monday four course meal, I think. All right, that's it. Have fun. Be well. Go get it. Oh, I almost forgot. If you want to pre-order the book, there's a link in the show notes. Click it. Go there. Buy the book. Terrible salesman. Love to talk about the book? Terrible salesman. Go do that. Uh, It'll also be all over all of my social media and everything. So if you want it, you want to tell people about it, I really appreciate it. Uh, And now that is it. Thanks for listening to Monday Morsels on 10,000 No's. Any love you can give us by spreading the word to family and friends is greatly appreciated. And be sure to check out our full-length episodes every Friday. We'll see you then.